there is nothing more significant, more powerful, more central in the determination of our being, our life, our experience. Nothing more significant, powerful, or central than how we are with desire. How we are with desire, our relationship to it, our ideas about it, our logos about it, our skill or lack, lacks thereof, shape ourself. They make us, they, they shape us this way or that. How we are, what we do, how we seem, the very uh, sense of our being. They shape our life. That relationship shapes our life and shapes our world. Opening it or closing it, coloring it this way or that. Desire is a maker of worlds. Whenever there is perception, whenever there's experience, there's actually desire. We can't get away from this forever. We're always making something because there's always desire. What, though, are we going to make? What can we make? What freedom do we have to make this or that? So this whole question of desire, and what does it mean to bring, to open this up as a question, as an exploration, and bring wisdom uh, in relationship to desire? And so sometimes we're a bit too simple with this. So desire is something just to let go of, to get rid of, the the quieting of desire, and that's what the path is about. Can I do anything, anything without desire? Anything at all? The simplest, can I go to the toilet without desire? Can I practice the path? Can I uh, live my life and have a full life? Can I love without desire? Certainly, can I be uh, in an intimate sexual relationship without desire? Can I work well without desire? Is there art, is there creativity without desire? On every level of our being, from the most complex and involved to the most subtle, I cannot get away from this. And I cannot get away from what it's asking of me. I can try to bring a simplifying answer to it, and maybe that reassures something in my heart and my mind. But if I'm awake, I very soon bump into the rub that that simple answer or conceptual structure doesn't actually fit my life. It doesn't actually uh, work uh, with, with the range and the power and the subtlety that, that we need. So what is your relationship with desire? That's a big question. What are your ideas about desire? Maybe some of them will be conscious, some of them will be unconscious. And sometimes in, in Buddha Dharma we can have, uh, so desire is not good. The path is to end desire somehow. And desire is always, it goes with Vedana. So desire is always kind of chasing pleasant or trying to get rid of unpleasant. And But is that really... Is that the limit of what desire is? That it's something in relationship to the tonality of pleasant and unpleasant and either chasing the pleasant or uncertainly sometimes it is. Does that really capture the fullness of, of the, of, of the human psyche's, uh, relationship and motivations of desire? Is the only desire that's kind of acceptable, a desire for a decrease in suffering. So how are we thinking about desire? How are we delineating desires in our in our 
So we've got to have some desire because it wouldn't come, you know, wouldn't book a retreat, wouldn't come. Maybe the only, the only desire, uh, that's good is the desire to end desire or the desire to decrease suffering. So we can kind of, we have some discernment about desire, but we put it into two camps and everything else is, it would be better if I didn't have it, but somehow I do have it and I kind of arrange my life, uh, with, with it. Do we live like that? Do we live Really, really, if I look at my life, do I live, uh, in a way that, that follows this discrimination of, um, the only good desire is a desire to decrease my suffering or the suffering in the world? I mean, it, there, there is that desire and that might have a lot of power, but is that really, are we really living like that? It's just, it's just, I'm just talking about that honest and discerning self-reflection now. So I have, I might have an ideational structure. I might have got it from Dharma teachings or somewhere else. Is that really what's going on? Is that really what's happening in my life? Is there some kind of cognitive dissonance here? Do we need, um, a, a, a bigger and perhaps more complex psychology around this thing called desire, this force called desire? And, what are the asks? What are the demands? We are born with this, this force called desire operating in our life. What, what is being asked of us here? Is it just the quietening of that? Is it just to put everything else aside as much as we can and just have the desire for the decrease of suffering? Can we begin to discern uh, different kinds of desire and different kinds of relationship with desire and different kinds of ideas about desire. So we talk about, we'll get back, I'll get back to this in, uh, soon, but we talk about craving and eros and discerning between them. And can we discern between those two? And can we guide if, if we're stuck in craving and the contraction of that and the pain of that and the tightness of that, can we actually, is it possible to, to allow that to open up, to skillfully guide it so it becomes eros, something much more beautiful, fruitful, open-ended, not contracted, fecund in the best possible way? Do we have that skill? So there's questions of, um, discernment here and questions of skill I want to come back to. But let's again, let's just pause on the discernment thing. Um, most of you here, after you've been, if you come to sort of more than, I don't know, three retreats in your life, um, you probably love something about all this path and practice and all that. What is it that you love? And what is it that you want? And is it really, again, is it really just to suffer less? In a way, it's, it's a little ironic or paradoxical or, or perhaps not fully honest that we, we have a terminology that talks always with all the brilliance through the Four Noble Truths about reducing suffering. And so we kind of, we've got probably got, my contention is we have all kinds of things going on that we desire and what we really love and why we show up here and are willing to sit through all the difficulties and walk through all the difficulties, etc. Is it just because we want to reduce suffering? Some, I mean, there are plenty of people who relate to meditation like that, but it's usually only maybe they go to an evening course and learn a few techniques to, to suffer less, and that's great. And that's really important. And learning how to suffer less is really important. What is it that you're really wanting now? I mean, it includes that. But what else? What draws you here? Not just to this retreat. Is it not that you are in love with a kind of beauty about all this? There's something about sitting this way and doing what you do that is beautiful to you that you are in love with some mystery, that uh, some perfume of mystery that comes with all of this. And that in itself is not 
doesn't, it's not really about reducing suffering. Is it not that you love love? And you love the goodness of heart and the, and the beautiful qualities of heart. It's not just a functional relationship. We, when we're in love with practice, not just a functional relationship. I come so that I can learn some things to reduce suffering. Yes, but more. How many people have told me over the years, uh, boy, when I, when I heard the Heart Sutra for the first time, and I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, but something, it's like, I want that, I want to, I, I, there's something ignited in the heart. Many of you had this, or talk about emptiness, I don't quite understand. What's attracting you there? Is it just that, oh, that sounds like a very, very good idea that I could reduce my suffering by understanding that. Good, good, okay. That's not what happens. Something else is, 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 is uh, comes into flame. And I would contend, actually, you know, the way I think about emptiness is it, you can understand at lots of different levels. The beginning levels of emptiness, or the, the, let's say, less profound levels, are very much about different ways of seeing that reduce suffering. As it gets deeper, it becomes much more about mystery and, I would say, sacredness. That, that, that there's a kind of beauty and uh, mystical uh, sense that opens up in, in the deep uh, sort of reaches of, of, of exploration of emptiness. Yes, that has an effect on suffering, but that's almost not what's driving a person to practice at that level and, 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 and to be drawn at that level. And yet, somehow we don't quite kind of acknowledge that or, or, or recognize that fully and give it its due and its place. And we just keep talking about reducing suffering. And is it not the case that when you show up here and when you practice diligently and you de- devote yourself to practice over, over the years, that you have, as I mentioned last night in the Q&A, there is a fantasy or there are multiple fantasies woven together for you of, 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 of practice, of path, of yourself as practitioner, with all that devotion of the tradition that you are walking in the stream of and supported and nourished and inspired by, of practice itself, of awakening, all this has become imaginal for you t- to some degree. Do you understand? Um, the Buddha, the teachers, the lineage of teachers. And all that is beautiful and all that is uh, to some degree at least, erotic for you. There's image already there. And yet, somehow we don't really kind of say, hey, <laughs> maybe this is significant. And we don't have words for it. And we don't point it out. And we just keep talking about reducing suffering. So, there's differentiations. We'll come back to this. And then, and then there's, uh, that differentiation also, uh, goes, what goes with it is, is the, the asks. What are the skills and arts that I can develop, that I can open up in relation to this whole complex, really mystery of desire? So, can you let go? Have you, have you had, have you practiced that? This thing that I'm obsessed about, this papancha, this person that I want that maybe doesn't want me or whatever it is, can you let go? So we talk a lot about that in Buddha Dharma, right? Let it go, drop it. How's, how's your skill at doing that? You don't have to answer. <laughs> um, can you let go of those big, uh, you know, do you have enough practice at that? That's one of the foundational skills of all this soul making like if you can't do that mm, maybe some some work at developing that for a lot of people that maybe needs to come first i don't know and then can you what about letting go at a much more subtle level so yes there's the big papancha obsession of this thing that i want this person that i want or whatever and then and then there's the whole possibility of getting letting go in meditation at more and more subtle levels things that you wouldn't even consider are things to let go of. You wouldn't even consider them as craving. And that whole, uh, the beauty of that movement into more and more subtle, subtle letting go. 
and what that opens up. And yes, freedom from suffering, but much, much more. The, the, the beauty and the mystery, as I alluded to before, that opens up in relation to emptiness and fabrication and the unfabricated. So how's your journey with that? With, with the subtlety, uh, with, with letting go of more, at more and more subtle levels. And you might be listening, please, as I say, oh, I'm not, <laughs> that, and that's so much to mind. I'm just, I'm just a big, how about seeing it as, you, you know what? There are treasures everywhere. Or you are in the middle of the most glorious banquet buffet. And you say, oh, it's terrible. There's all this, <laughs> all this food I've got to eat. And the person says, it'll be there, it'll be there. This, this bag will keep getting replenished longer than you live. And you say, that's just terrible. <laughs> it's beautiful. I will never get to explore all the possibilities that are partly because the, the, the era of psychologists are now opening up more and more. And that's wonderful. I can relate to it as, oh. So there's that journey. There's letting go of gross stuff. There's letting go of this exploration of more and more subtle levels of meditative exploration of exquisite beauty and profundity that opens up. Then there's the ask, you know, do you dare, do you dare to follow uh, the desire for what you love? Even if it brings dukkha. Do you dare? Or, and this, this again has something to do with shaping our life. What happens to me and my life and my person if I don't? If I close that down, I say, oh, that's, that's dukkha. I might start judging myself if I don't get it or I'll probably get hurt. What happens to me and my personhood and my being and my life? Think about the Buddha's journey and that kind of mythical story. Prepared to put up with a lot of suffering. And again, it's, it's spoken of and conceived as what he wanted was the end of suffering. Or think of an artist. We were talking yesterday in the Q&A. The artist's journey and, and the, the dedication, the frustration of that. Do you dare to follow the desire of what you love. And there can be dukkha in that. Well, actually, there will be dukkha in that. What's it about? And so, as I said, there's a whole range of skills here, and we don't have time, to, certainly not now, to talk about all this. Um, we've talked a lot about this. We did... Um, uh, what's it called that? Uh, the alchemy of desire. Of Hermit's Love is the alchemy of desire. We did a whole retreat just mainly focused on desire and different aspects of it. So that's there on the web. There's a whole other retreat called, well, it's a series of talks, a long series of talks called Eros Unfettered. There's lots of subtlety to all this. Lots and lots, lots of possible skills there. One of the things, one of the practices we did that a lot of people found, um, to, to, actually to everyone's pleasant surprise, really quite um, easily accessible, we called, um, well, I call it the OCD practice, but that's, <laughs> that's actually short for <laughs> opening the current of desire. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not even going to explain it now, but this, this is something not to do with eros, as we're talking about, not even to do with imaginal so much. It's to do with the energy of desire and the way that we can have a different, skillful, meditative relationship with that that opens it up in a completely different way and brings fruits that we wouldn't even have imagined would have come from, from relating to a desire. There's all kinds of possibilities. And, and, and that material is out there and we don't have time to, to discuss it now. Um, but this question that we want to get in, in relation to the imaginal, so we have this, this thing that we're calling eros, and we contrast, it's a kind of desire, and we contrast it with something like craving. And as I said, um, can I recognize the difference? Can I discern the difference when it's craving and when it's eros? And further, can I 
is it possible for me to learn how to open up craving, the pain and the contraction and constriction and kind of block of that? Can I, can I actually open that up so it, so it flowers into eros with all the beauty that that brings? That's a skill. How do I learn that? I learn that by, by making mistakes, as we were saying in Chris's question last night. I have to fall down with this. I have to get burnt. I have to, how else am I going to know what the difference is between craving and eros until I actually get burnt? So, oh, that's what happens. That, ouch. You know, it's okay. It's part of the learning. We're playing with fire. If you want to play with all this, you're playing with fire. And you'll, and you'll get burnt. It's okay. You'll survive. We can, there's tremendous amount of skill possible in all, all, all of this. And so much depends on it. That's why I go back to the beginning. So much depends on our relationship with desire and our capacities with desire and our ideas about desire. And this particular, this particular kind of fork between craving and eros so much depends on that in terms of worlds that are born, selves that are born, experience that opens up. We can learn a lot. We can master a lot in terms of that art, but we will never be the master of eros completely. It's bigger than us. Like all the gods. Bigger than us. So there's a kind of humility with that. Um, so there's, a, yes, there's some mastery and there's some artistry and subtlety and that, that's really, really important. And there's a kind of humility in relation to it. All these things, eros, emotion, um, that they're bigger than we are. And, and, you know, thank heavens that's the case. Would you really want to master all the mysteries? Would they be mysteries if you were the master of the mysteries? Don't we always want something bigger? Something we can never get our heads fully around? So, uh, Eamon and I were talking last night and he made me laugh and and he said, uh, I don't know if he made the group laugh when he mentioned it in the group, but anyway... (laughs) Um, he said, Eros psychologist, no one talks like that. <laughs> and it's true. It's absolutely true. And why all this Greek stuff? <laughs> and it's true. You know, what the hell are you guys <laughs> Um But actually, exactly, no one talks like that. Or rather, no one thinks like that. And again, we've got, um, we have a poverty of differentiation, a poverty of discernment, so that when we don't discern something called eros separate from craving or just other kinds of desire, then we don't have the language and conceptual framework to, to guide and support this um, endless and amazing opening. Because I keep putting it back into the same box. It's, it's just desire. I like it. I want it. It's not, it won't, uh, it won't open the avenues. So we, yeah, I don't know why the Greek, I have no idea, but, um, uh, <laughs> um, but the, the differentiation is part of the world birthing. It's part of what supports that. And again, we're back to Logos and all that. So yeah, no one talks like that. But that's part of the problem, that, that we don't have the language. And as I said, look, it's already here. In the Dharma, we have this very simplistic way of talking about desire and letting it go and what the path is about. And just look, just take some honest self-reflection, as I talked about before. And is that really what's going on? And is there not already Eros and already the imaginal there? And yet we don't have the language. So that's why, that's why the language. And that language will help to support and make sense and open up the, these, these worlds. So we want differentiations, discernments, subtle nuances of of recognition and ideas and therefore words to communicate with each other that support soul making. 
And that we don't have that in the culture, in the wider culture and, and even in the Dharma culture. And you can say, oh, that's fine, I'm not really interested in soul making, that's fine. But there's a cost. There's a cost. So again, we think about desire and think it's either, in, in this kind of simplistic view, desire is either just ego or just chasing the pleasant on one hand, and that's unskillful, and we try and get rid of that, or it's skillful, it's kusala, uh, which would be like desire for metta and desire to end suffering. And that's it. There's this kind of bifurcation that way. And then with the skillful desire, we can talk about, hey, don't, you know, don't overdo it, don't push too hard. And that's great, actually, that, that bifurcation, that differentiation. But do we not need some more? So is that, if I make just that bifurcation, is that, is that, that, those are the choices that are presented to me in my life? Either I'm just saying, yeah, I can't really hack the whole path, otherwise I'd be a monk or a nun. Uh, so really I'm kind of making a pact with, or just kind of putting up with the fact, the recognition, yeah, I have some ego and I kind of laugh at it. Self, ha ha ha, self does the silly stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, you know, it would be great if I wasn't so into the senses and sense pleasure, but, you know. Is that the only, that, that conceptual structure, over simplistic conceptual structure, gives me choices that it doesn't even make sense of my life. So, Eros, Catherine already uh, defined it. I would again, like I think I did with the energy body, maybe we can make a kind of narrower definition and, uh, and a wider, fuller definition. Okay, Catherine already gave the narrow definition. So, so among, you know, uh, so desire is a big, big complex thing. And one delineation we make is of this thing, this kind of desire that we're going to call eros. And then we make a further de- delineation between what we call, what we might say is just the, the basic narrow definition of eros. And then, and then we'll open that up. Basic narrow definition of eros, a s- small definition, if you like. Catherine already said it. Um, any desire or wanting for more uh, contact, connection, intimacy, um, opening to um, uh, an opening and touching something, the, the beloved, the erotic other. Any wanting more of that. Yeah, so that's it. It's a very kind of, all right, very sort of basic definition. The thing that's, that's uh, again, so significant is what happens to that wanting more. So this arises as, for us as human beings. We want more contact, more intimacy, more touching, more opening. What happens? If I'm stuck in a kind of view and sense of the, this beloved, this, this thing that I desire and want, and want more, more contact with, that that's just what it is. It's um, uh, uh, this real self desires more contact with that real thing, which is this. That's what it is. I, I, it's a kind of uh, flat, let's say, and defined in a certain way. And it's got a box around it. This real self wants that real thing in a real world in real time. I want more of it. And I'm stuck in that idea. I don't think this of real world and real time. I just assume it. Because that's, that's the default assumption. And that's not gonna, and let's say that, that conceptual idea, conscious or unconscious, usually unconscious, doesn't budge. I want more. Then I have to get that. Either I have to chop it off, chop off the desire, take a cold shower, whatever it is, or I want more. And then I put pressure on that person or thing, or I don't care what the effects are of me getting more, or I need to get, I can get as much as I want of that thing, but then I want more of something that's similar to it. So I go, 
uh, I'll fly on a holiday there and a holiday there. I don't care what it does to the earth. I want more, more and more. I'm stuck in the flatness. It can, it can go nowhere but horizontally to the more. The more, do you understand? The more is only horizontal. If I'm not stuck, I might start stuck in that ideation, but if, if that, uh, if the, if there's an intelligence, if the imaginal opens up, then this eros wanting more starts to find more by, uh, if you like, creating and discovering more in the beloved. So it's not just this. It's not just... If the... Uh, if, if the eros is allowed to include the imaginal sense... Okay, then this wanting more, uh, the eros starts to kind of d- create and discover more in what I love. It becomes richer. I perceive more there. I perceive more faces. There's more dimensions. Uh, you become, if it's you, you become a- alive to me with multiple images and depths and, and beauties. Do you understand? Um, what a difference this makes. Then I'm getting the more because more is there for me. More delight, more wonder, more mystery, more faces, more complexity, more beauty. I get the more. But then Eros wants even more. And then that's where this, this, if I, do, if it's not blocked, it, the, the sense of the beloved other grows even more. More faces, more dimensions, more mystery, all that. If it is blocked, I need to go horizontally. If it's not blocked, it just opens up sense of things. So this is this is such a, a crucial pivot. Does it make sense? Yeah. Um, if I have an idea about, let's say, imagination, that's, that's just nonsense. I can imagine, I might have an image of Eamon, but that's, that, that's not reality. Eamon's like that. And that's it. Then the, the imaginal might arise from from the the power of my eros, but I I my logos doesn't accept the imaginal perception, and then I'm back to the prison, and it's got to go uh, somewhere else horizontally. When when there's this, this repeated thing happens, the beauties upon beauties and mysteries open up. You know, gradually, gradually. It's not like all at once necessarily, but um, then with this kind of repeated opening up of my sense of the beloved, other things start to happen. And one of the things that start to happen is I go so much in and out of these wondrous and beautiful and touching and very different than conventional perceptions of, let's say, Eamon or whatever the object is, um, that going in and out and in and out, something starts to, hmm, in my thinking about reality, and what a, what a person is, and who not just who Amen is, but what a human being is, and in that, who am I, and what is my perception, and what is this eros, and the world will look different. I go in and out, in and out enough with enough striking of the soul. My soul is touched, and at some point in this, the the logos, the idea of what what on earth the world, reality, the cosmos, self, humanity is, starts to open. So the logos, not just the eros grows, not just the psyche in terms of the image sense grows, but the idea grows as well. Idea, and then the idea being richer, the sense of things is richer, and and eros gets even more inflamed, and the whole thing can just, you understand? So that's what we call the eros-psyche-logos dynamic, and it's potentially endless, just endlessly fertile. Endlessly um, creating and discovering more, more, more beauty and more wonder. Uh, so, as it's allowed to do that, um, let's say the object again, if it's Amen, becomes. More, more of these elements of the lattice, more and more elements of the constellation get, get illuminated. We get more fully, uh, the experience itself gets more fully imaginable. Um, but, so it, it ignites those different elements that we've talked, talking about, but it also needs those to support the whole process. 
You know, it needs um, a sense of beauty. It needs uh, an ideational structure, etc. Um, <clears throat> so we need sensitivities, permissions, understandings, ideational structures, openness of perception, awarenesses, uh, differentiations, we need all that to support this not being trapped in in this real self desires a real thing in a real world in real time and all the havoc that that creates and in and in a in a globalized world with the technological power we have these days and the spread of consumerism consumerist culture and a flat metaphysics that doesn't allow this kind of opening and depth that is creating enormous havoc. People are taught that they can have their desires, they're given that opportunity and economic availability, and there's no metaphysics or conceptual structure that supports uh, a kind of um, anything but a kind of the rampant destructive consequences of all that, because it's flat and because it can only go to more, 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 more in a very real way. And you can see that personally, what happens in, in a relationship with a person, you can see it globally. So, I don't know that they need to be Greek, but I, I think we, <laughs> I think we somehow need these concepts. Well, I, I won't say that. Um, so, Practice-wise, um, everything feeds everything else here. Again, everything's a dependent arising. Here I am. I've got, let's say, I've got in my meditation or in my life, I keep getting images of someone I really like. And I want that person. There's Eros there and they come to me in images. Or with any imaginal figure or whatever, or any object in the world where there is... Um, Eros in the small sense. And at that point, Eros in the small sense, just this desire for more, it can go both ways. That's the thing. It could become craving if it's stuck in different ways, uh, or it can open up in this bigger sense and then ignite the whole imaginal constellation more and more, etc. Um, so, what helps it? How can I... So I'm never going to completely master this. It's too much of a mystery. But how can I help it move towards eros rather than collapse into craving, open into eros rather than collapse into craving. One thing is all these nodes, everything feeds each other, all these elements. The more, let's say, either it's a person or an object or a thing in my imagination, person or object in my imagination, the more fully I bring my whole energy body into relationship with that thing, the more it supports the craving opening up to eros rather than staying in craving. That's really good news. There's, there's many, many things we can do. One is, the more, what happens when there's craving, generally speaking, is there's contraction. There's contraction of the mind around the object. There's contraction of the self-sense. There's contraction in the energy body. Not so with Eros as it opens up in the full sense. So one thing we can do, because everything is mutually dependent, can open up the energy body more, the whole body in relationship to this image or, or whatever it is. What does that mean? The whole energy, as Catherine was saying, it's like I'm knowing this object. I'm, I'm in relationship with my, whole, with my whole body, my whole energy body. And that... Uh, kind of supports the opening up of eros rather than the collapse into craving. Now this can happen many times and it, you will fall off the bicycle, you will get burned, but hey, there's ways of kind of re, reopening it. Yeah? Uh, that's one. Another, I mean, we could probably list loads, but another is this fullness of intention. I want you I want us to be in relationship. I want to have a baby with you. I want to, whatever it is, I want that thing. I want to go on holiday there. I want this. I want that. I want it to happen. 
And yes, very often that want can become for a real self, in a real world, etc., etc. What happens if um, maybe that intention is there, there's a kind of small intention, but can I open up to this fullness of intention? When I want you, or I want anything, this or that, to happen in a relationship, what is it that I most deeply want? And and what if that could be actually what I want is the soul-making? It seems to be you, but what I most deeply desire is the soul-making and the sacredness and the endless opening of that. Does, it, does that make sense? It's not this, none, this is necessarily easy. But what happens if I can open up the intention? What do I really want? Sometimes people say, I want... Uh, okay, it's not, it's not that thing or that person, but I want, what I want is the aliveness or the juiciness that happens in their presence. Great, but I would say don't even stop there. You, you, you actually probably, uh, want something even, even wider and deeper than that. You want the fullness of soul making. And, and that can be an intention. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, this middle way of the imaginal, again, Real self wants a real thing in real time, real world. Can I see that this that I'm wanting, or this that I have an image of happening and then think I would really like that to happen, is already, already happening. It's already happening. We are already making love in the imaginal realm, if that's what I want. It's already always happening. And that recognition is, uh, that's actually to do with the eternality, so I skip that, but, um, uh, that does something. I don't need to make this happen. It's already, already happening. It's a part of the imaginal sensibility. I recognize something and that, that does something different to the nature of my desire. It opens up craving to eros. It helps to do that. Uh, the one I meant to say was, um, this neither real nor not real. And can I find ways of playing with that? And again, actually get the sense. So it might come from emptiness. It might, it might come from just, um, again, with these elements, we notice things. So if you look at, it's almost like you notice the fact that an image is neither real nor not real. It's not that you have to make it that. It's like if you just pay attention, you see, oh, oh yeah. Or when it's rarefied, you just remind yourself of that possibility. And then it, it has that quality of, of feeling neither real nor not real. That does something to how much we need to concretize and uh, this desire. Is all this making sense? Yeah. Um, I mentioned last night in the Q&A, you know, so there's lots of expansions potentially happening here. The expansion of all the elements in what we're calling the lattice or the constellation uh, to more or less degrees. Um, the expansion of Eros, Psyche, and Logos. And the expansion from uh, of the imaginal sense from just the object or, or uh, expansion to self, other, and world. So again, if it's just the object and not the self that's imaginal, real self but ima- uh, imaginal object um, that also uh, causes problems causes contraction so is it possible to actually just check where has where has the imaginal sense gone and the eros gone and actually is it possible to just allow it to include self and world that you know more space takes the pressure off allows more fullness, more beauty, stops the concretized, I want this, I need to get it. Another one, grace. You know, just recognizing the grace in the sense of of the erotic imaginal uh, starts to open the, 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 the hardness of the craving. It's hard to feel grace and feel contracted in, in craving for something. The idea, again, if I'm stuck with a certain idea of desire is bad or, you know, then there's going to be all this dissonance in my, I sort of want it and it's bad and I don't have any kind of idea or conceptual framework about what is possible here with this desire. And maybe there's self-judgment as well and it's like, oh, I shouldn't be having this and mess, contraction, not. Um, so what's my, what's the logos that's operating? Can I check that and see if it can open out in some way? 
the sense of eternality, that's huge. I mentioned that just now. Always already happening. Um, humility and reverence. It's hard, hard. If, you know, humility, we may or may not get to this, but what does that mean? It's kind, for most of us, it's kind of a charged word, or we have kind of small understanding of what it might mean. But if that starts to fill out, so there's another expansion. Each of these ideas, each of these elements can also start growing in our soul. What, what is that? What is humility? What does it feel like? What does it look like? I might have a small idea of that. As, as soul making gets hold of the idea of humility, that starts to become rich and wide. And, and as that gets going, again, it's very hard to have a, a, a small, tight, rigid craving. Something is softened, something is opened. Uh, not reducing, um, an, uh, well, let's say, let's, uh, yeah, let's actually go more quickly. I need to end. Um, Tunus. So here, here's a slightly different one. Sometimes there's this, uh, desire for something and that desire starts to collapse in a kind of union. In other words, we desire something, we move towards it, even in our imagination, and then we just melt with it. Which is, can be really lovely, and that's a, that's a real option. But at that point, and some people define eros that way, it's the desire for union, the desire towards oneness, that's not how we're defining it. So a lot of these words are used in different ways, in different circles. We're saying, Eros preserves and needs a sense of tunus. Um, and it's in that erotic tension between the two that the whole imaginal can be born. If I collapse into it, it's wonderful and great and certain colors can open up and everything, but it's a, it's a different experience than the erotic imaginal. Yeah, so there's something about preserving the tunus. So it might be that in a kind of different way, what collapses the eros is just maybe a habit or a meditative habit or a tendency to just go to oneness. And then the eros needs to, and it actually creates more to, same with the example of aim, and it will create more faces of the two. It preserves, creates, etc. Um, last one for now. Um, it's implicit in all, all that I've said, is that the... Beloved other has elastic edges, soft and elastic edges. That's part of their mystery. It's part of their capacity to stretch. And because of that, they're, because of both that sense of mystery and beyondness and, and the stretchability of them, that lets everything else be elastic in this. And that's part of what Eros is and does. Someone wrote a note this morning or yesterday. Um, would you at some point specify what you mean by the fullness of image or something being fully imaginal? Is the fully imaginal the goal of our practice and what would be the other end opposite of that range of more or less fully imaginal? So I don't know if, if the answer is already clear from what we said. A um, couple of things. Uh, so basically, Eros and all these other elements, um, if Eros is allowed to do what it wants to do, it wants to impregnate the, 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 the psyche, it wants to enrich and complexify and deepen and widen and uh, uh, the, the, what it beloves, its beloved other, uh, and, ev- and everything else, eventually. If it's allowed to do that, then then what will happen is the object, the thing that we desire, will become more and more fully imaginal, by which we mean more and more of those elements will will start igniting. So I just didn't want to make too much, like it, it is imaginal or isn't, like it's a, too much of a black and white, and then people go, have I got it, have I not got it? It's more, think of it more as a direction. You understand? We, things can be... Uh, more more and more ignited, because they're more and more fully imaginal, then we don't get so on-off about it. Yeah. Why, why? What's the, why? What's the goal? What is the goal of our practice? Is it for everything to come fully imaginal? Not necessarily. It's a mode of seeing. It's a mode of being in the world that comes and goes, you know, at times, I think. Um, What's the point? If you ask me, can you sum up in a sentence, what's the point of all this? I would say, to open up the gates of sacredness. To open them wide and far and deep. 
more and more to expand the senses, the sense, the felt sense, the experiences of sacredness in our existence, in everything, any possibility. That's the point. Now, we can do all that by, as Catherine was saying the other day, we can kind of um, let go of all all desire in relation to objects. I don't want anything but the unfabricated, that which is beyond all all sense experiences. And there can be eros for that, and there can be a desire for that, and there's a certain kind of holiness that goes in that path. We can have that, absolutely. It's not either or. You can have that whole movement and that kind of sacredness, and it's awesome. But there are an infinite number of of other kinds of sacredness that have to do with things and particulars, not the fading of things and particulars into universals, but things and particulars and angels and the world becoming angel. And that is endless. So if we, it's up to us what we want, but the purpose is this opening up of more and more of a sense of sacredness. And why? Well, either you want that or you don't, or you could say, it's what soul wants. Soul wants to sense that way. That's what, that's what, that's what soul's about. And the range of that, whatever sense we have, this is sacred, it just opens that up more and more, more and more and more. The colors, the dimensions, the, 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 the folds and angles of what that means. That's the point. And for that, we need to speak in funny Greek words. <laughs> no, we don't. Yeah. Um, no, but we need these, we need these discernments. No discernment, no opening of certain gates. Yeah. Um, so we need to make these different, these differentiations of desire, differentiations, recognitions of how I'm thinking about it, what I'm allowing to be possible, making the discernments and developing the particular, let's say, skills or arts in relation to all these different avenues, doorways and discernments. Yeah. Yeah. Is that enough? Have I missed something? Yeah. Okay.